This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a live edition of Tunnel Vision Special Edition. We have a lunch with a Trojan. We've been doing these during the coronavirus quarantine, and we got a very special guest, first member of the athletic department we've had here on Lunch with a Trojan, and he's new, Brandon Sosna. He's the chief of staff uh, for Mike Bone over there at USC. Follow him on Twitter at Brandon Sosna, Sosna, USC. Brandon, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I've watched that Tunnel Vision intro so many times, but this is definitely the first time I've seen my face at the end of it. Yeah. Well, welcome. I appreciate you spending some time. You're back in Cincinnati, right? I am. I am. I was staying at the USC hotel, which is where I was living when I arrived at USC. And at some point throughout this uh, outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was designated a quarantine zone. So I uh, got out of there as quickly as I could wow. and uh, had to find somewhere to go. So I went back uh, to the great state of Ohio. Nice. Well, well uh, you know, hopefully we get you back out here on the West Coast and things start open up here uh, in Los Angeles. I know it's can't be easy for you and Mike Bone to start your jobs and all this, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on to begin with and then throw this crazy, even crazier thing on your lap. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre when you think about it because whenever I am able to get back to Los Angeles, I'll spend more time as a Trojan in Cincinnati than I will have in Los Angeles. <laughs> Uh, in no way what I expected when uh, the opportunity was presented to me to join the Trojan family. So uh, it, it's like anything else. You learn to adapt to your circumstances and make the best of it and recognize that uh, it, it could be a lot worse. And we're fortunate to have what we have and we'll continue to do the work. So I uh, just let people know we are going to be live. We are live on uh, YouTube and Periscope for this broadcast. I'm, I've, we did some questions ahead of time from the Peristyle. If you're a member over there at uscfootball.com. So we're going to kind of make the, the show flow okay. So I'm not going to be reading all your comments and stuff, but you can still put comments there on YouTube and Periscope, but we're not going to be pulling those questions in uh, for this live show. We've got a lot of great questions that people submitted on uh, the Peristyle to get going from there. And uh, I'm glad you've watched the show, Brandon. So at least you know, you kind of know what's coming. I do, but I also was expecting after last week with Vic that I would have lunch waiting for me. So clearly you didn't take his advice and learn your lesson on that. I have, okay, so I have some leftover uh, Peruvian food here. You're welcome to that, but you're a little far away. And I've got my diet uh, cherry Dr. Pepper, which apparently you're a fan of as well. Well, whoever's on next week, maybe uh, maybe they'll finally be the one who gets the lunch service. So I have to send you, I guess I could have pizza delivered or something. I don't know, but you're, you're kind of a picky eater. Come on. What can I do? Oh, okay. All right, we'll figure this out. Um, all right, so I wanted to kind of start off with 
your role uh, in the athletic department, you're the chief of staff. I don't think they had a, a role like that. We had Pete Pauly on the peristyle. He just wants you to describe your position and what you what you do. What does it entail? I think to understand the role, you also have to understand the dynamic that Mike and I have when we've worked together for a number of years and we really understand the rhythm of how we operate. Um, but I think most importantly, the role of the chief of staff is critical to large organizations. Uh, there are thousands of decisions made every single day in our organization, uh, both externally, also internally within 21 sport programs and dozens of administrative units. And really, it's my job to make sure that all of those decisions are properly communicated. Everybody is aware of what's going on throughout the department. And certainly, uh, and mo most of all, I think Mike would say that my role is really to get stuff done. And so really as a project manager uh, to, to ensure that we're executing the directives for Mike, following up on those directives. And then also just between him and I, uh, I, I believe that the most critical function of my role is to arm him with all the all the information that he needs to make decisions and really uh, to serve as sort of a glue of the organization to, to make sure that we can continue to move rapidly and not stagnate in any of our decision-making. So if people don't know that you worked with Mike Bone at the University of Cincinnati, um, the area you grew up in, we had a question on uh, the peristyle from uh, TY0214. Maybe this has already been answered, but I'm really curious to hear how he and Mike Bone first came together. Did he hire him right off college or was there a longer path to his position? It's actually a really great story, and I think it underscores exactly why Mike is such a, a rare leader for someone in his position. He, uh, he displays such a rare degree of humility in the way that he does his job. And so I had started working at the University of Cincinnati in the athletic department when I was in eighth grade. And just like so many of your members on the P, Ryan, I grew up a diehard Cincinnati Bearcats fan. So in eighth grade, I sent an email to Mick Cronin, who was the head coach at Cincinnati at the time on the basketball team. And obviously, as you know, he's at UCLA across town now. And I just asked him for a way to get involved. I still have the email. It's probably the most cringeworthy thing I've ever written in my entire life. Uh, I try not to ever look back on it because it's so embarrassing for me. But Mick was kind enough to give me an opportunity to start working at Cincinnati basketball camps. And those were back in the days when AAU camps were hosted on campus. So I was working Mick Cronin basketball camps, AAU camps, team camps. I would rub elbows with coaches. There was a time I was in an elevator with Coach K on my right and Roy Williams on my left. And wow. uh, I don't know that how many people have had that kind of experience in their lives. I got chewed out by Tom Crean one time, which was a fun experience. <laughs> But I continued to do that all through high school. Uh, Mick was really great to me. Uh, I would go down to practice after high school and help make Gatorade and wipe sweat off the floor. He, he rewarded me by taking me on a few road trips. And as I got into college, I would come home from Penn in the summers and continue to work the camps. And it was the summer after my sophomore year when I decided I really wanted to try being on more of the administrative side of the organization. So Mick recommended me to Whit Babcock, who was the athletic director at Cincinnati at the time, who's now at Virginia Tech. And that summer after my sophomore year, I interned in the athletic director's office for Whit. And I was scheduled to come back the summer after my junior year. But at some point in December or January of my junior year of college, Whit Babcock got the athletic director position at Virginia Tech. So immediately I thought that I had lost my summer internship and was starting to think about other things that I was going to do. I got uh, all ready to, to serve a congressional you know, internship potentially that I'd done the summer before as well. So um, really what ended up happening is over spring break of that year, I had lunch at the University of Cincinnati Student Union at a Papa John's with Mike and his assistant Beth. And Beth basically raised me in my first summer interning there. And Mike and I talked for an hour 
and not once did we talk about my internship. Obviously, I was there just to talk about my internship. And the whole time in the back of my head, I'm like, is this guy ever going to mention anything about what I'm here to talk about? He was asking me about my college experience. He was actually very interested in my perspective on the program growing up as someone who was a diehard fan. And so finally, at the end of the interview, he said, uh, oh, by the way, I think you were our intern last summer and you're supposed to intern this summer. But yeah, of course, you're coming back. You know, we're going to honor that. And just, <laughs> it was over. So, uh, you know, it was a 30 second discussion at the end of our, our lunch at Papa John's. And so I came back in the summer and Mike was really great. And I've been really fortunate in my life to have leaders uh, and mentors who have just put me in positions to to show what I can do. And from the day I arrived at Cincinnati that summer, he said, Brandon, you're going to come into every meeting. Don't open your mouth, but you can really learn how this business works. And we just really connected from there. Um, so you transitioned. You weren't in Cincinnati the whole time. You actually went to work for the Cleveland Browns for a while. Um, we're going to talk about your transition, you know, back to Cincinnati and to USC. But when you were there, you guys were part of that whole thing where everyone thought Sam Darnold was going to be the number one pick. You guys had the number one pick. You go with Baker Mayfield. Any insights into that? USC fans were a little upset, but I think they're happy he's with the, the Jets now. Yeah, it's really fascinating, especially now that I'm, you know, on the USC side of things. But really for us, as I recall that draft, draft process, um, Baker Mayfield was really the wire-to-wire -wire selection for us. Um, I think he was just uh, a better fit for what we were looking for at the time. And uh, there were certain things about his game that we uh, liked more than Sam in that process. Um, but I'd be lying if I would if I said I was a, a talent evaluator, which is which is not what my role was in Cleveland. So uh, I just decided how you know what the money looked like. So I'll I'll defer that responsibility. To <laughs> All right, so don't get on him too much about taking uh, Baker Mayfield. We'll see. What real quick on the on the Browns? I mean, any thoughts there? I mean, they have a lot of talent right now. They, I mean, you guys they assembled a lot of talent, but we haven't seen it really put together to, to win games yet. Yeah, I mean, I think on paper they're, they're as talented of a roster as there is in the National Football League. I think Baker's growth from year two to year three will be really uh, determinative of the outcome of the season for them. Um, but they've obviously undergone some coaching changes and some leadership yeah. changes there, and there's a cost to change, and uh, it, it can take some time to, to learn and grow, and you only get 16 games to figure it out. So uh, we'll see. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to, to see how it develops, but I'm also relieved that uh, I've been able to return to my diehard Cincinnati Bengals fandom and um, squarely on the Burrow bandwagon as we move forward here. Uh, transitioning over to USC, uh, Super Trojan 5 says, uh, what got you interested in sports and football? And did you have a favorite sports team or player growing up? Did you follow USC? And did you have a favorite USC player? So a bunch of questions there. Sorry. Yeah. You know, I think one of the things that I'm most grateful for in my life is that I've always known that sports were my greatest love. I think so many people uh, go through life and really struggle to identify what they want to do and what they're passionate about. And for me, it's always it's always been sports. I was so young that when I started watching Sports Center, I called it Sports Kenter because I didn't even know how C's could make a <laughs> sound. I thought they were just a K sound. So for me, it's been my entire life uh, growing up a diehard Cincinnati sports fan. Um, the, the link to USC is actually really interesting because the Bengals obviously struggled a lot in the 90s. And what started to turn the organization around in the 2000s was drafting Carson Palmer. Yeah. And so growing up watching Carson Palmer, I mean, that was my favorite player. And really, as because of Carson, I wanted to go to USC growing up. I actually signed a contract with my dad when I was in seventh grade 
uh, that if I got into USC and went there, he would fly me home for any single Bengals game that I wanted to attend. I think he thought it was a pretty safe bet that I wouldn't want to fly home every other Sunday for a football game. Uh, and I think certainly now if I were constructing that contract, I maybe would have done it a little bit differently. But for me growing up, watching Carson as a Bengal and watching the success of USC football, uh, that was aspirational for me. Nice. Um, so Trojan Man 11 wants to know, uh, when you got to USC, what are or were the largest deficiencies you found in the athletic department uh, when you arrived? Well, I think the, the biggest thing, Ryan, is that there was really just a hunger for new leadership and new energy. And I think central to the process that Mike and I go through is we try to look at everything as if we were doing it for the very first time. And if we're doing something for the first time, how would we do it? And if the way that we're currently doing it is different from the way it's being done, it's incumbent upon us to change or otherwise we're choosing to do it suboptimally. So I think we quickly realized that we actually had a lot of talent in the organization from top to bottom. We have an enormous amount of talent on the administrative and the coaching side. So the object of the exercise for us really became more about understanding needs, uh, opportunities for growth and challenges within different administrative units and coaching staff. So Mike met one-on-one -on -one several times with every single coach. We went through discussion sessions with all the different administrative units to really figure out how we could align the strengths of the individual people on our team uh, with what they do every day. Because ultimately that's what we try to do is we want people to love what they do every day, do something that they're passionate about, but also be in a position to exercise their strengths all the time. So we were able to combine that with a, a a budget, a reinvention of our budget process. We were fortunate to have John DeGrado come over to our athletic department from the auxiliary services as our interim CFO. And we devised on the run an entirely new and different budget process um, because it's really hard to talk about needs and challenges in the organization without also talking about the finances. And so we were really uh, far along in a process of, of evaluating all of those things uh, holistically. And certainly COVID-19 has disrupted that a little bit. But there, there's a lot of talent at USC. There's a, a hunger and an appetite for, for a new vision and new energy. And I think Mike's brought that in a really big way in a very short time. Um, we'll talk about some of the COVID stuff and some of the challenges you guys face in a little bit. Um, uh, Pocho Cam, I think that's how, or Poncho Cam, he says, your modeling techniques uh, for business development are well-established in many sectors. Do you see broad acceptance of your techniques in collegiate sports administration, or are you ahead of the curve? Well, I think there's there's this uh, perception about me that I'm some analytics wizard. And uh, while I do believe in data-driven decision-making, uh, I'm not uh, some computer programmer who's spending my days building algorithms. Uh, I would say that I think really the concept of analytics and modeling is misunderstood for us. What it really means is using data to make decisions and data is just information. I think you could argue that recruiting, for example, is a highly analytical process. You're, evaluate, you're evaluating players, you're measuring body sizes, you're looking at speed measurements, uh, you're looking at star ratings, you're factoring in information, qualitative and quantitative, that you're getting about the player from his coaches, from his family. So I think all of that is information that informs the decision-making. So for us, analytics isn't some, I think everybody thinks of numbers and spreadsheets, but for us, it's really about using information to make decisions and implementing systems and processes that will allow us to consistently make better decisions. And if we can increase the probability of making successful decisions more consistently, I think that's how we beat our competitors. 
Um, okay, so you're when you first got introduced, I remember, you know, we ended up having lunch, you're just kind of meeting and chatting, and you were doing a good job, like trying to talk to different people in the LA media. I went on the peristyle and told people like, hey, I think this is gonna work out well. It wasn't, you know, some people were like, that's cool. And other people were like, what the heck are you talking about? And we we kind of expressed everyone, hey man, he's a message board guy like all of you. Like he's been, that's, he grew up on the Cincinnati message boards. He checks out the peristyle. You know what's going on. There was a really interesting thread started, a, I don't know, a few weeks ago during the quarantine. You know, people put up like their quarantine dream homes. They did a peristyle quarantine dream home. You're in it, I'm in it. Uh, so I want to put that up and kind of get your thoughts. Uh, House one, we got you know, Chris Trevino and Greg Biggins and some of the Peristyle posters that you, you know well. House two, you got Dan Weber and Free Kobe, some of the bigger names. House three, you got myself. I uh, got Meister, uh, Fear SC. We go down to uh, house four, Keeley and LV Lompro, one of our insiders on the Peristyle. House five, you got Gerard Martinez and, and W Stripes, who's his he, restaurant right near me. Uh, he's got this good stuff. Um, House six was shotgun and Josh. Wait, where did, you, did I miss you? Where did, where did we put you in there? Did I we wait, that to make the cut? Wait, did you? I thought you were in this. I that's my bad. I thought you were in this, Brandon. Um, so well, okay, so you're not in a house, so you get to pick which house you're in. I thought that you were in one of these houses. Maybe I, I, I haven't looked at this for a while. My bad. Well, I'll say this. Um, just because I'm a Trojan now doesn't mean that I've dropped the rivalries that have been a defining aspect of my life. So house two is definitely out. Dan, I'm sorry, but I can't bunk up with the Xavier guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think house one and house three, sorry, Ryan, are out. I just, I don't want to get the headaches of trying to interpret uh, what the post from Meister and refund me mean. I can't imagine what that would be like actually in person. So we'll, houses one to three, I think are out. Um, Let's look at I'm the not bottom. sure I, I get out of house six alive with uh, those last two names on the list. So really it's down to house four and house five, which is, this is actually a pretty interesting dilemma, right? So I think it'd be interesting to know who our, uh, who our insider loan pro really is, but also really interesting to know which one of my uh, coworkers is Illinois LOL, as we all know. So, uh, I'm going to have to go with, with house four, but it's close. All right. Uh, you got Lambda Guy Trojan, uh, our, our buddy Casey. Um, so good stuff. I, I, my bad. I totally thought they put you in one of those houses, but they did not. So uh, we're not, else was in there. you're not a par prominent poster on the Parastyle. You haven't posted yet, right? I don't post. I read no, because read. it's important to learn, but uh, no posts. Not nice. yet. Maybe someday. So you guys know he he follows the P if he knows all the, the personalities of our crazy fans on there. So we appreciate all that. Um, next kind of topic, there's, you know, as you know, you come into a situation where fans are, you know, they high expectations for the program. There's some upset fans out there. Chandler, Arizona Trojan said, uh, what message do you have for SC fans that maybe have dealt with bad athletic department decisions for the last 10 years? We know it isn't your fault, but it's officially now your problem. So do you empathize with the SC fans that have reached their threshold in what they are willing to accept? I do empathize. I empathize in a lot of ways because in my personal life, I, like your subscribers, Ryan, I'm a diehard sports fan too. And so while you have to build a firewall around your decision-making as a professional to ensure that emotion is never part of your decision-making process, as a fan, I'm as emotional and invested as anybody else. When I left Cincinnati, I told our, our basketball coach, John Brandon, that I was looking forward to being able to yell at him when I was unhappy about uh, some substitution he made or something like that. So, you know, I think that 
you know, my story is very much the same. I totally empathize with the feeling of emptiness that comes when your sports team isn't performing to the level that you expect. I, again, I was born and raised a diehard Cincinnati sports fan. The Cincinnati Bengals haven't advanced past the first round of the playoffs in my entire life. And the Reds have advanced past the first round of the playoffs just one time in my entire life, and I was three. So I uniquely understand that feeling of desperation when you get so emotionally invested in something and you don't feel like it's returning uh, that that it's reciprocating that investment so I think there are two things that are really important the first is sports are central to people's identities I mean think about somebody's Twitter bio you have a couple hundred characters to define to the world who you are and people so often choose to say what sports teams they're a fan of it's truly part of someone's identity and when you have the sacred responsibility of, of leading something that is so part of who somebody is and means so much to so many people, uh, that the enormity of that responsibility cannot be lost on you. And I think the second thing is it's absolutely imperative, especially in an industry where so much of our revenue is based off of ticket sales and donations. It's absolutely imperative that our fans understand that we care as much as they do. Because I think foundationally, if your fans don't believe that you're invested as much as they are, it doesn't really incentivize them to continue to reciprocate that investment. So I think Mike and I are really intentional intentional about demonstrating that commitment and that passion. And that's part of the culture that we're instilling here. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's why Mike is so engaging. That's why he's so out and about with the donors. That's why we're so active on social media. It's because uh, we, we do value the fans. And I think somewhere along the way, Ryan, um, as the college, the business of college athletics has exploded, we've developed sort of an arrogance that we have all the answers. But the reality is our fans experience our product completely uniquely from the way that we do. Uh, when was the last time someone in our department went online and bought a ticket, drove to the game and found parking, walked into the stadium as a fan, gone, has sat and gone through the concessions lines and restaurant lines. We don't experience it the way that our fans do. And that's why it's so important for us to listen. And as Mike talked about from the day that he arrives, listen and learn before leading. And I, I think that's, that's not just the process that he's going through as he's transitioning to USC, but that's also fundamental to the way that we view uh, the servant leadership of athletics. Because at the end of the day, um, this program belongs to the student athletes of past and present. It belongs to the donors, the alumni and the fans. They've been here long before us and they'll be here long after us. And it's our responsibility to represent them in a way that makes them proud. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, we used to do that in the media too. I don't experience the game the same way a fan does when we're in the press box and we have media parking or whatever. And uh, even when you know creating our website and we're creating content, we're not usually consuming it the way that the fans are. So you kind of have to listen to them. And I. I feel like the, the department hadn't listened to the fans for a while. So it's good that you guys are doing that and, and, and see the need, the importance of actually doing that. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really a non-negotiable. I think what happens is you get so close to it and it uh, affects your perspective. And so that's why really transitioning somewhere new is the best time to go through that evaluation process because you'll never have a purer perspective on anything than right when you arrive because you're free from some of the biases and preconceptions that, that affect some other people. USC rocks on the peristyle, no O for some reason, but he said, uh, what other improvements do you see, do you think need to be made off the field for USC to compete for national championships in football? You guys have made a bunch. I mean, you've done a lot in the short time you're here, but other improvements you think need to be made? Yeah, I think we're, we're pleased with the progress that we've made in building up the program and uh, addressing some of what we felt were the immediate challenges. I think from the from the time that the Holiday Bowl ended and as we moved forward, uh, we went through a process of evaluating the football program. 
And really, you have to assess what percentage of your challenges are a result of systems and processes, what percentage of your challenges are a result of uh, structure, what percentage of your challenges are a product of uh, lack of resources, what percentage of your products are problems are related to personnel. And, and honestly, too, there's there's also a percentage of your challenges that are going to be related to uh, luck and circumstance. And so really identifying the challenges is the first step, but you also want to be able to enact, enact meaningful solutions. And so uh, I think there's some can, perception out there that we're just throwing a bunch of money at the football program, which really isn't the case. And I think more importantly, we've looked at what areas can we affect in a way that we feel like there's a high probability of a successful result? We don't want to add a bunch of support staff members to football if they're not going to be dramatic improvements, right? We don't want to just hire somebody to hire somebody. So if we didn't feel like we could attract the type of talent that we did uh, in the support staff roles and then certainly in our coaching staff roles, we would have looked for other areas where we could make more of an impact because at the end of the day, there's a finite number of resources that are available. We're going to do the best that we can to continue to grow the pool of resources that's available available to us. But if we have $200,000 to spend and we have all of these needs, we need to weigh what putting up new graphics in the hallway is going to do versus adding three positions that are going to equate to 250 hours of work product a week and what return we'll have on that for the program. And I think we've been really diligent about going through that process so far, prioritizing those needs. And I think just as a, as a part of our process and uh, a tenant of the way that we believe in leading the organization, we're always going to look for every competitive advantage within the parameters of what's permissible. I want to talk about the uh, the 2020 season and the uncertainties uh, surrounding it. We had some questions on that. Uh, Trojan Lights wrote in, uh, is USC working on a plan to accommodate fans at football games this season? What types of options or uh, would they hope to include in that plan? And has there been any communication or coordination of those plans with the NCAA? The, the city of Los Angeles, uh, the state government of California as of yet, uh, anything along those lines? We're doing our very best to be prepared. I think the biggest challenge that we have right now and the most frustrating aspect of it is that there's a lot more that we don't know than what we do know. And so we're gonna take our guidance from the PAC-12, we're gonna take guidance from the NCAA and certainly health professionals in the state uh, as we formulate those plans. We're working really hard to be prepared for any scenario. Um, we just don't know exactly what that means right now. We hope that we'll have some additional clarity on that in the future. But as soon as we know something, certainly we're gonna communicate it out and we're gonna do our, our very best to uh, accommodate as many people as we can. Um, we're actively engaged in trying to ensure that our voice is heard. Uh, we had a great call last week with some of our government relations folks as far as what we need, to, what perspectives we think are important for, to be shared at the state and federal levels with decision makers. And so I think the opportunity to have a voice in some of that process and uh, really understand it from our perspective has been helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, there, there are 130 FBS programs in 50 states. And this is a really complex and certainly unprecedented situation. And so uh, we're gonna adapt as, as we get new information, but try to be as prepared as we can be for any outcomes. The, uh, the man in the Mac uh, had a few questions, but one of them was how aggressively are you and Mike Bone pushing to make sure that football is played? Obviously it's very important for the athletic department budgets, but just you know in general for USC football. And uh, do you think it's possible that some schools may be able to, might not be able to play because of state laws or guidelines? Well, I think if the year 2020 has taught us anything, it's that I guess anything is really possible. But yes. um, I, 
I, I don't, I don't, there's a lot that, that we don't know. Um, what was the, can you, the first part of the question? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, how aggressively would you guys push for, to have football back? Like, is it something like, well, whatever the state says, that's what goes or, Hey, we're going to make sure we're going to do whatever we can as long as it's safe to push football out there. Well, obviously the question of will or will we not have a football season is actually existential to the college athletics model. You know, 85 to 90% of our revenue is tied to football. So while that's true, the, the primary motivator for us in any decision and that of anyone in the college athletic space is going to be the health and safety of the student athletes. So uh, we are not health professionals. Uh, we are not going to try to be experts in a field that we're not. So we're always going to rely on our medical professionals. Dr. John Broadhead, who is our medical director, Russ Romano, who's our uh, head athletic trainer. Uh, they're doing a great job keeping us informed, up to date on things that are going on uh, around the university and the medical community overall. So uh, we're going to we're going to be uh, aggressive in a in a responsible way. But at no point would we ever make a decision to put our student athletes in harm's way. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Z Handy also wanted to know. Um, do you have any thoughts about playing in front of an empty coliseum? I know for the NFL model, it seems like a bigger portion of the revenue comes from television, where in college, like you said, the gate revenue, you just the, the game experience, it's not, you know, TV's still probably the biggest, but it's it's bigger in college. Um, is that something that you've thought about or any thoughts on? Yeah, I think it's interesting how our bar of expectations has lowered throughout this whole process. At first, the idea of playing a conference tournament with no fans was literally the worst thing imaginable. And now it's like, hey, if we can play football in a parking lot, we'll play. Yes. Um, so I think, you know, we'll, we'll be willing to do whatever it is that that we have to do to, to play a football season. Um, we have modeled 166,000 different scenarios as far as what it will do to our budget, uh, ranging anywhere from, you know, $30 million uh, revenue gaps to $100 million revenue gaps if there's no football season. So uh, we're, we're doing our best to understand what the financial ramifications would be of, of any circumstance. Um, but I don't know that it's really the finances that are going to drive the decision so much as, as it is uh, just societally where we are and how much we've progressed in fighting the pandemic. So uh, do we want to play in empty stadiums? Of course, that's not desirable. As much as anything else, it creates an atmosphere for our fans. We want our fans to be able to experience it. Um, but again, we're going to just make the responsible choice. So you mentioned budget. That's probably a good segue into the, the next sort of topic with the COVID stuff. But uh, Love My Wine and Trojans on the Peristyle said, if there's no football this year, have you thought about how to handle donors who gave, uh, you know, gave money, you know, to have their seats in a certain way? Like, how would you kind of rectify that if there wasn't going to be a season? Certainly, we want to know exactly what shape it's going to take before we communicate anything out, whether that's a delayed season, a shortened season, a season with no fans, just so that we're not inundating our donors with different scenarios. I think fundamentally, Ryan, what's different about the college athletics model is that we rely on donors to support the student athlete and scholarships. So while our tickets are also, are, are an entertainment uh, venue, uh, there's also a, a uh, donation component to those tickets and a philanthropic component of those tickets. And I think it'll just be important for us to communicate to our donors that while we're in this extremely difficult time, uh, their continued support is what's gonna help us get through it. So we'll, we're gonna look at everything as soon as we have a clear direction, we'll be able to communicate all of that out, but we're certainly preparing different policies based on different outcomes that might occur. Uh, Coliseum fan wanted to know, what changes uh, can you and the athletic director make to increase revenue 
uh, alumni engagement and moral support, you know, during this crazy time in the pandemic? Yeah, that's actually something that we spent a lot of time on even before the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we've looked at our long-term revenue strategies and identified six or seven different levers that we feel like we can pull for incremental revenue growth over the long term. Um, but, you know, fundamentally, our greatest opportunity for exponential revenue growth is in the conference distribution as it pertains to media rights and certainly the college football playoffs. So uh, we are aware of the areas where we uh, can can grow in revenue. Um, certainly those that have been talked about a lot have been in the sponsorship space, in the ticket sales space, and certainly our, our apparel contract that I think has been well documented at this point. So we're, we're pretty intimately familiar with what the levers are that we can pull. Uh, it's definitely a multi-year strategy to get back to a level that allows us to compete um, with our national peers. We had a couple of questions on some of the other sports, you know, out of football, Trojan Lights. Will there be any Olympic sports dropped or scholarship reductions by USC in the coming years due to the you know, budget constraints? We saw your former you know, place of employment, Cincinnati, did drop uh, men's soccer. I think it was one of the first ones to actually drop a sport. Yeah, you know, we have not we have not talked about that at all. Not no plans or intent to do anything like that. I think as we look at potential reductions that we would have to make to the program, um, I think anything that affects the student athlete experience would be the last component that we look at. Yeah, that's, I, we had a couple of questions on like adding sports and it was like, yeah, at this point you you kind of want to need to hold on to what you, what you have because it's not, it's there's definitely going to be some challenges. Um, the uh, uh, Musa Knows Best says, how do you plan to leverage USC's unique advantages Tradition, location, prestige, market networking, against some of its disadvantages, like not uh, not the only show in town, strength of conference, to generate more of a buzz around the programs locally and nationally, and make it a more desirable destination for top notch top notch coaches who might not be native. So I think he's talking about for all the uh, all the different sports. Well, it sounds like with the level of depth of that question, that 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 poster has some ideas. So yeah. Maybe to connect with them offline and see what those are all about. But obviously being in Los Angeles is our number one inherent competitive advantage. It's the largest market in the world for college sports with New York really not having much of a college athletics presence. So certainly it, it has its competitive advantages. There are also some significant marketplace disadvantages, especially over the last few years as we've had some new professional teams that have entered the space and made it even more competitive. So I think like with anything else, when you're in a really big market, um, there are significant advantages to that. There are also significant disadvantages to that. And as the finances really get tighter, I think sometimes the calculation of how you weigh those advantages and disadvantages changes because the cost of living is obviously extremely high in Los Angeles. So uh, it's something that we recognize as uh, uh, an opportunity for us, certainly with our former players and engaging them, uh, how we make connections in the uh, greater Los Angeles community in terms of business, uh, entertainment, and so forth. So definitely something that's on our radar as an opportunity to explore in an area for growth for us. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about that in the uh, NIL portion a little bit further down. But Chief Trojan wanted to know, in your short time, have you found anything that worked well at Cincinnati, but you've had to make adjustments for it to work at USC, whether it's addressing staff, student athletes, or fans? Fight on. Fight on. Um, I, 
Not really. You know, I think it's too early to say at this point. Obviously, they're different programs. Uh, we're talking about a budget that that's twice the size, uh, a fan base that has an intensity of interest, as Mike likes to talk about, that is uh, significantly greater. Um, I, I would say at this point, you know, the, the role that I'm in is very different. I was chief revenue officer at Cincinnati, so I was overseeing ticket sales, uh, marketing, communications, um, uh, all of our digital aspects and corporate sponsorships. So it's a, it's a different role. Um, but I think we are, we're pretty true to our systems and processes that guide our decision-making and our strategies. Sorry, I put the wrong, uh, I put this one up there. Like, hey everybody, sorry, that's our over. Like this to yourself. Normally, yeah, there's normally other people in the studio. We couldn't be like, you could have come in the studio under normal circumstances and done the show, but, uh, these are weird times right now. Um, we're gonna go to the PAC 12 a little bit. And, uh, it was interesting, Larry Scott, you know, there was years before you were here, uh, maybe during uh, Mike Bone's time when he was at uh, Colorado, where Larry Scott sort of just dealt with the presidents and didn't really deal with the athletic directors as much. I think now as his, you know, contract is coming closer to the end, he's, you know, how important it is to really be in touch with what the athletic directors are doing. They apparently have a call daily. I don't know if they still do. Um, what's your kind of interaction been like uh, with Larry Scott in the Pac-12 and what do you feel about this conference as opposed to where the SEC, it seems like it's going to be football no matter what. In the Pac-12, it might be more of a wait and see. What are your overall thoughts on that? I think the conference has done a really great job of guiding us through a really difficult time. Uh, the, the conversations that Mike is having daily with the other athletic directors to get alignment, to understand what's happening locally at those universities uh, to ensure that we're all basically – on the same path uh, has been great. Larry's been uh, really communicative. He's uh, sharing everything that he's learning from the other commissioners. He was a participant in, in that phone call with Vice President Pence. So the flow of information has been great. Uh, the decision-making has been great. Uh, so I think with respect to how the conferences responded to the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, I think that they've done a great job of steering us through a, a really obviously unprecedented, but also difficult time. Uh, 34 jump cut. Maybe he doesn't share your optimism. He said the Pac-12 is in shambles in comparison to the SEC, Big Ten, and ACC. These other conferences are growing richer and richer as their teams get huge national promotion and their games get seen in uh, most households by recruits nationwide. As the contract date approaches, what is USC doing to prepare all of its options and what does the Pac-12 need to do to fix itself? Well, certainly the way that the media rights landscape has changed over the last 10 years has fundamentally altered the business of college sports. 10 years ago, uh, the Power Five conferences were pulling in something like in the range of 10 to 20 million uh, per school in, in those conferences. And now 10 years later, we're in a range of 30 to $65 million per school. And I think, you know, for example, uh, 24 of the last 25 teams to win a World Series in Major League Baseball have been in the top half of the league in payroll. And so while we're talking about payroll, which is a different conversation, those organizations that are spending more on their roster are also able to invest in the things off the field that we know are, are critical to success analytics, structure, more and better and more talented personnel, uh, sports science, sport performance, uh, nutrition, and all those other technologies uh, that we know uh, ultimately help you win on the field. So uh, certainly that, that disparity and that revenue gap is one of our significant challenges. And you know, not only is it a, a challenge on the national landscape, but really when you look within the Pac-12 uh, at our own conference, there's not a greater disparity in cost of living 
from top to bottom in any conference that there is the Pac-12. The cost of living is 53% higher in Los Angeles than Tucson, 49% higher than Phoenix. Uh, it's 46% higher than Salt Lake City, 47% higher than Pullman, Washington, 31% higher than the Denver Boulder area. So there, the $31 million that we get from the conference certainly doesn't get us as far in Los Angeles as it does in some other places. So there's, there's some imbalances there. Now we have some strengths in Los Angeles that uh, help counterbalance that. Um, but you know, on a broader level, uh, the Big Ten pooling in $65 million a year and the cost of living being 63% higher in Los Angeles than it is in Columbus or 61% higher than it is in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. $31 million in Los Angeles for $65 million in uh, Columbus, Ohio is uh, worlds apart. And you know, when I when I got to the Browns, Ryan, my starting salary there was thirty five thousand dollars a year. You don't you don't have starting salaries at thirty five thousand dollars a year in Los Angeles, no. California. Um, I think uh, it, it forces us to make some choices that others don't have to. I think that. Um, fundamentally, college athletics budgets are a little bit misunderstood uh, in terms of how much of our expenses are fixed in terms of uh, providing for the student athlete and uh, compensation for our staff, which I think as we've assessed it, uh, our staff is probably still lean relative to where we want it to be. Uh, so really only 28% of our budget is actually sort of discretionary. And even within that discretionary 28%, there's a lot of things that like team travel and recruiting uh, that we can't eliminate. So it just makes the margins for us a lot smaller. And uh, you know, the, the, we expect and all the reporting is that uh, we're going to be looking at a 50 to 100% increase in these media rights agreements. And certainly the college football playoff, the potential for expansion there would result in additional revenue. Um, but that, that is, uh, that's an enormous challenge for us. So just you having all that data on the tip of your tongue, uh, I'm trying to, you know, picture having conversations like that with people before that were working at USC. I just don't think that was even possible. So just even acknowledging that I think was going to make USC fans feel better because they do feel like they've been getting the short end of things as far as the Pac-12 goes. And it sounds like, and when I talked to Mike Bone, I'm sitting in this very chair when we had him on our podcast a few months ago, that he said, I mean, I think we caused a little controversy when he said everything was on the table and it was like, hey, USC could you know, leave the Pac-12. But it sounds like you guys have put a lot of data together like, hey, this 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 isn't working out for a program like USC. Changes are going to need to be made or they could take, you guys could take some drastic measures. Yeah, I think it's just really an assessment of the reality of the situation and um, identifying the, the challenges that exist. And that's really been part of our process since we've been here. I think Mike's comments about everything being on the table, uh, it certainly took on a life of, of their own. But I think that's just really part of our overall strategy is everything is always on the table for us. We're always going to explore every opportunity. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the New York Yankees haven't won a World Series in over 10 years, but they're still the iconic brand in baseball and the largest market in the country for baseball. And we're still the preeminent college athletics program in the largest market in the country for college athletics. And that's how we anticipate that we're going to represent ourselves. The, uh, the name, image, and likeness compensation is a really interesting issue. The NCAA is taking those recommendations from that committee and they're, you know, they're going to vote on it, I think, in January. And uh, by the you know, next academic year, you could see student athletes getting uh, compensated for their name, image, and likeness. I put a story up on uscfootball.com, I think it was yesterday, talking to some different media folks, but also uh, a you know, prominent sports marketing figure just asking about, hey, would USC have some kind of big advantage? Because when I had uh, Vic Soto on here, 
he thought it would be like, hey, if you want to be an Instagram influencer, would you rather be here where all these tech companies are? Or would you rather be, you know, he didn't, I don't think he said anything like a specific time, but like you want to be in Lincoln, Nebraska or Ames, Iowa. Um, and, you know, talk to some people with something you mentioned earlier. There's also, you're, you're a big, you could be a bigger fish, but it's a much bigger pond. And you have like four of the top 10 NBA players in the world play in Los Angeles. You have two, uh, you know, um, NFL teams that are just opening up a $5 billion stadium. There's a lot more competition for eyeballs here in Los Angeles too. So what, what are your thoughts on where USC could stand to, to benefit and, and, you know, what the NCAA might do here with the name, image, and like this uh, compensation? Yeah, I think we're a long way away from what the final product would be. There's obviously a process going on at the NCAA level. There's some principles that are important to the uh, the Autonomy Five conferences. And then obviously there's uh, the state legislatures that are, are introducing their own bills. So uh, we're, we're a long way from knowing exactly what form it's going to take. But I think that all of those perspectives are right. I think it's important to characterize the way that we'll have the competitive advantage by being in the Los Angeles marketplace, which is probably less about being a celebrity, but more about how you connect those relationships and the, uh, the culture of, of the entertainment marketplace. Um, but, you know, I think I think most importantly, from our perspective, is we want to be, you know, we want to be on the, the leading edge of whatever uh, NIL legislation takes form. And for us, I think that's why hires like Jacob Brown and Will Stout are so important because uh, the way that we present our student athletes to the world is what they're going to leverage for their own marketability. And so they're going to be looking at schools and saying, who is going to help me enhance my marketability the most? And so we, we it's imperative that we're on the leading edge of that. So hires like that to enhance our support staff right now aren't just about recruiting. They're not just about creating better videos, but it's also about positioning us uh, to be a leader in that space uh, when the time comes. Yeah, that um, that was kind of the next topic I wanted to get into is about that, the, the new hires that have come in there. You've certainly, you guys have added to the support staff. You've done a lot of good things around, but this was a move where there's some fans are like, wow, that's great. I, maybe it's, it's a, there's an age range. Like, I don't understand quite the, you know, the production value of what these videos mean, but you look at what LSU did last year and getting millions of views. Uh, did Joe Burrow need a hype video to win the Heisman when he threw for 60 touchdowns? Probably not, but I mean, it got a lot of attention. It helped with the national championship. I mean, the team that goes 15 and 0. For the the people that are like, you hired some video guys. What does that mean? Sell sell them on why this is uh, awesome for the university. Well, I think it ties back to the point that we just made too. You talk about the Joe Burrow videos. How much more marketable is Joe Burrow with a video that's been seen by millions of people who obviously are probably familiar with him because he's playing quarterback and he's probably the Heisman Trophy winner, but they see him in a more entertaining and exciting form. So for us, it's, it's as much about anything that uh, we want to attract the best talent in the world. And so when we create positions, we're going to go out and hire the very best people. And I think one thing that maybe people don't know about our football program is that we also have some enormous talents already in place. Spencer Harris, who is our director of player personnel, he led the recruiting effort to get uh, Jacob and Will to, to leave LSU and come to USC. He's an extraordinary young talent, incredibly organized, uh, as hardworking of a guy that I've ever been around. Joseph Wood, who's Clay's chief of staff. Uh, I've never been around somebody who has the capacity to handle as many thousands of different 
project simultaneously as he does and to do it at a standard uh, of excellence. So we have a lot of great talent. We're always going to uh, try to bring in the best talent that we can. We're never going to apply constraints as far as where that talent comes from or uh, what the background is for that talent. We just want the very best people. And um, I just think that you're not paying attention if you don't realize how important the video, digital, social media space is for recruiting, for how you represent your program. Uh, and there's something important about um, how you present yourself. And so when we have coaches, we hired some tremendous new coaches, I think top to bottom, we have the best group of coaches that there is. They talked a lot about physicality and toughness. And so the ability to then take those take those tenets and hear those talking points and actually pair it with video and audio and social media that reinforces that message. You get that that visual verbal redundancy that helps establish the culture of the program uh, and lets people be a part of it. So all of those things are all part of the bigger vision of, of what's important and the things that we understand are going to affect our ability to recruit and win. You mentioned uh, some, I put some of the pictures of some of the new coaches that you guys had brought in. What was that uh, process like? It was something people were very curious about. It, it never seemed like before there was a lot of uh, this cooperation between the football coach and the athletic department, it seemed with these new hires, there was at least more cooperation going on there. Yeah, I can't really speak to what the environment was before Mike and I got here. Um, but Clay has talked a lot about how uh, we had some conversations to ask him what he needed and that that was something that was that was different for him. And so really the way that we view it is we're here to be a resource and provide uh, whatever support that we can to ensure that we can be as successful as possible. So whatever role Clay needed us to play administratively in the process of recruiting this group of coaches is what we were going to do, uh, whether it's supporting the analysis, supporting the relationships, having conversations, working on contracts, whatever we needed to do to be able to land the collection of coaches that we wanted to, that's what Mike and I were here for. And that's really what we view as the function of administration is to provide the coaches and the players and the support staff and everyone around the program what they need to have the level of success that we expect. Because I think it's unfair to ask someone to perform at a level without providing them the resources that they need to perform at that level. The, uh, you guys were ramping up a lot of the support staff stuff and, and obviously the COVID uh, quarantine stuff hit. Trojan53 says, how's it look for additional support staff hires and what specifically will be their duties to help with recruiting? We still have a few support staff positions open. The university announced a hiring pause and certainly we're going to be compliant with that policy and uh, we'll, we'll continue to evaluate our options and whenever we have the ability to move forward in those processes, we will. Um, but there are there are broader concerns facing our university right now and we're going to we're going to be responsible stewards of our resources. Look at that. Very uh, politically correct answer. Um, I know you got another meeting here coming up. We appreciate I think that's most of the questions we had from the peristyle. What's it? What's it been like for you so far? I mean, this is, you know, you're an Ohio guy. I mean, you went to Penn for college and stuff, but this is like, you know, branching out, moving out to the West Coast, and I guess then moving back. But what, what's the, the first few months here been like for you? Well, it's interesting. So I packed up my apartment in Cincinnati on Christmas Day. I woke up the day after Christmas when I was going to fly to San Diego with a throat infection. I spent four hours in urgent care. Uh, then I went to CarMax and sold my car. And then I got on a plane and flew to San Diego. I was stuck at baggage claim for two hours and got to the hotel at about 2 a.m. Woke up a few hours later, uh, went to the Holiday Bowl. The next day I was in Los Angeles checking in at my hotel. And uh, it's just been a, an unbelievable 
whirlwind of a journey since then. I was living out of a hotel. Uh, so I haven't really had the LA experience. We've been pretty focused on on the work that we need to do. I uh, never really thought that I would end up in Los Angeles someday, certainly uh, as a typical Midwestern kid. It wasn't anything that I felt that I was really aspiring to. But um, at the end of the day, USC is to me the preeminent athletics program in all of college sports. And I think more than that, um, the opportunity to go to USC where it is at this place in time as a competitor and as a professional, I can't think of a more exciting once in a lifetime generational challenge. If it's not the type of opportunity that when you think about it, doesn't make every hair on your neck stand up, then I don't know why you would be in this business. So for me, I feel extremely fortunate and very lucky to be here. I'm grateful that that Mike, uh, you know, Mike has created pretty much every opportunity that I've ever had in my life, I can owe to him. And so that's why I'm extremely loyal to him. That's why I went back to Cincinnati to, to be part of his staff. That's why I followed him out to USC. And, uh, you know, to me, I, I couldn't think of a better program or place in the world to be at right now. Are you going to keep the uh, quarantine beard when you come back to LA or is that, I mean, no, the, the quarantine beard is strictly a quarantine beard. Okay. I mean, you, I mean, it, it's filled in nicely for, you know, you're a younger guy. I've, I've been doing about a week. I got a lot of gray. I'm like, I think I'm going to sh just looking at yours. I'm like, nah, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to shave it now. So yeah, the lighting in here hides the grays, but don't worry. I've got, a, I've got a few of my own. So you're not, you're not alone. I hadn't grown it out since college. So I, I figured I, I'd give it a try and see how it looks, but it's not going to stick. It's too much maintenance. Yeah. Too much maintenance. It's, it gets itchy for me. I don't know. I'm just not. Oh, well, the itchy phase is basically intolerable. So, yeah. but once you get through that, it's not too bad. Um, well, any last words for the, the P or people out there, USC fans, like what to expect in the future or what, you know, I don't know, if, whatever, hopefully they like this, but any uh, last words for them? No, I think I would just again say that uh, the, the responsibility of making the Trojan family proud is deeply personal to us. And uh, we, we're not really in the business of making promises, but I think we, we can promise that there isn't an athletics administration in the country that's gonna work harder and more passionately to do that than we will for, for the Trojan family. And uh, we're excited about the progress that we've made. Uh, we've, we've really generated a lot of momentum very quickly, uh, but I think everyone around our program, specifically our football program, is, uh, is hungry to put the product on the field because that's how, that's, we know that that's where we're gonna be measured. And I think everybody's eager to take on that challenge. All right, Brandon Sosna, Chief of Staff for USC, working over there. Heritage Hall, well, now he's in Cincinnati, but, you know, eventually he'll be back. Heritage Hall East. Heritage Hall East, yes, uh, do that. Well, I appreciate, uh, again, Brandon, follow him on Twitter, Brandon Sosna USC. Uh, he's watching the Peristyle, so if you're posting on the Peristyle, he'll read what you're saying, but he's not going to, maybe we'll get you to post on there someday, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. All right, thank you. <laughs> thanks again, Brandon, for coming on. No problem, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Fight on. All right. Thanks, everybody, for uh, tuning in. Hope you enjoyed Lunch with a Trojan with uh, Brandon Sosna, and we'll talk to you next time.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.